Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversation. So happy you joined me today. My guest this week is a staple of the Northeast pro wrestling scene, Mr. Northeast Wrestling, Brian Anthony. Aside from being a solid pro wrestler who's been in the ring with everyone from Jerry Lawler to Matt Hardy to Darby Allen, one of the things I appreciate the most about Brian is his commitment to his brand and his commitment to his fans. Everything about him, as you will see, is neon green. When he makes a tweak to his persona, you know it. He's got the commitment to have more cool stuff at his table than anybody else. Works very hard at his craft, and in my opinion, he's one of the most solid wrestlers and one of the most solid guys around. So here we go with my interview with Brian Anthony. So pleased to be joined by someone I've known for a while, uh, Mr. Northeast Wrestling, Brian Anthony. Brian, welcome to Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversation. So happy you're with me today. Yeah, Phil, thanks for having me. Uh, you know, when you were inviting me on here, I think I told you briefly, I, you know, I get asked to do these things all the time. Never really been interested, never really been my thing, but for you, anything for Phil. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, let's start off with what's new with you. What, what are you up to uh, in Northeast wrestling these days? Yeah. So if you're following Northeast, uh, you know, for the past couple of years, you know, ever since we came back from the pandemic, it was uh, Vito and myself came back as Mr. Northeast wrestling and, you know, had a series of matches with Eddie Kingston, Danny Maff, you know, it was after that fourth title run and a couple months back, some things happened and now I'm on my own. There's no more Vito with me. Who is Vito exactly for people who don't know? Because he kind of just sort of materialized with you. And uh, somebody had mentioned to me that he he had been a friend of yours for a long time. Uh, he kind of sort of became your manager uh, in, the, in the meantime, too. Yeah. So to give, you know, a very, very incredibly long story, a very short synopsis. Basically, Vito and I became friends back in like, I don't know, probably 2006, seven ish. Um, I was training at Paul Roma's wrestling school and Vito and his partner Lou were there. They were they were like working on some radio shows, things like that. They really loved wrestling. They wanted to do some kind of podcast back in the day, like before podcasts for podcasts. You know, right. they were doing like some radio thing and you know, got to meet them at Roma's school. They started a small wrestling promotion in uh, the Northeast called Power and Glory Wrestling, obviously named after Roma. So worked with those guys, you know, for a couple of years, um, was a staple at Power and Glory. Me and Vito and Lou, um, you might see him at ringside at Northeast Wrestling yeah. with the camera. We all became really close friends and just even outside of wrestling, just just really tight, hang out, do things, you know. And as time passed and eventually Power and Glory closed, we all kind of did our own thing. I found myself in Northeast Wrestling. Um, naturally, I want my boys there, so. You know, eventually Vito came on board. He was ringing the bell for a little while, you know, doing camera stuff at ringside. Lou would do some of the editing uh, videos. He would do some recording at ringside. And then as social media grew, you know, he got involved in doing that. So, yeah, me and Vito go way back to the mid-2000s. And, you know, how we got involved in Northeast Wrestling is, like, we always joked, like, one day he was going to be my manager. So 
I think it was 2016 or maybe 17. I had come back from a little time off and won the King of Bethany tournament. So once I became king, you know, the next show, I said, wow, I really need like a royal introduction. You know, so I'm scrambling the day of the show to try and think, like, who could do this? Who could give me this big introduction? We'll have a scroll. And, you know, I bought green fabric to walk down the ring like a green carpet. And so I'm in the locker room almost having a panic attack. Like, who can do this? I'm like, wait a minute. Vito, you got a suit? He's like, I got a suit. <laughs> next thing you know, Vito, just because he was the guy with the suit, is introducing me. And, you know, one thing led to another. It took off and you know, it really became half my presentation was was Vito's ring introductions of, of me as the king. So after the first time, it, it was funny. It was like this transition where he gave me this great introduction. But, um, you know, Northeast Wrestling, the powers that be, if you will, still weren't sold on him, like being at ringside all the time. So the first show or two where I was the, the, the king, Vito introduced me and then just vanished into into the locker room and then as as it progressed you would start to see him at ringside more and more and more and then before you know it you know he was he was literally half my presentation yeah that's a great answer just because i honestly he i've been watching northeast for a long time watching you in northeast for a long time and he really just kind of seemed to come out of nowhere for me so i just yeah. started asking around like where'd this guy come from who is he they're like oh it's brian's friend don't worry about it I'm like oh, yeah, yeah no i mean it, that, that's really what it was is me and Vito. I've just been friends for a long time. We became super close. I mean, he's, you know, he was one of my best friends in the world. And then it just, it lined up where him and Lou were essentially doing all of my presentation before the King, where they would do my videos and the editing and the voiceovers and all that. And we had always, you know, wanted to, to have this opportunity on camera where they could be involved. And then it just so happened that I needed a guy with a suit. and There was Vito with a suit. I mean, who carries a top hat just to a wrestling show when he's not booked, but it worked out. <laughs> so you're probably more associated with Northeast Wrestling than almost anybody I can think of. Uh, what about that promotion and you is such an easy fit? You know, it's really um, – it was always something I wanted to do even before I got into independent wrestling, if you will. Um, I grew up in the Danbury area. Damory was a staple for Northeast Wrestling. So there was times that I would go to those shows and say, you know, like, oh, I want to be on these shows someday. And I remember when I was just breaking in, still training. Um, I started training under Jason Knight in 2004, later moved on to Paul Roma. But I hooked up with Kurt Adonis um, in that time period at training. You know, he came in and he was like, hey, you know, you really you really seem to love this. I, I think you're going to be good. All this stuff started working with me. And he says, I work for this company, Northeast Wrestling. He's like, you've got to get involved. And so he hooked me up with Michael Lombardi. And at the time, you know, I was still training, but I would go to, uh, for example, like the Danbury WWE house shows when they would do the O'Neill Center and just hand out flyers, posters, whatever they wanted, you know, help sell tickets, um, promote. I would get there and just help set up chairs, things like that. So around 2006, 2007, I started bothering Mike to use me on his, you know, his shows and He's like, no, I'm never going to use you. And like, it literally would tell me right to my face, like, no, I'm never going to use you. And then, <laughs> Sounds like him. <laughs> yeah, no. And then, you know, comes to 2007, they come to Danbury and, you know, Mike's, Mike's a smart guy. He probably figured like, yeah, this kid can sell a bunch of tickets. <laughs> and so he gave me a shot on the show and I sold a bunch of tickets and the show actually got snowed out. It was like a freak snowstorm in the middle of March. 
So I think he probably felt bad for me. So he ended up having me debut at his next show, which was in Bristol um, in 2007. I think it was WrestleFest 11, maybe? I wrestled Jason Blade. So he gave me a shot there. It was supposed to be a one-and-done thing for Danbury. I did the Bristol show, and then I think it was either that weekend or the next weekend, he called me up and said, hey, can you make it to Newburgh? Made it to Newburgh, and then I was on every Northeast Wrestling event, I believe, until 2014. So I think I went seven years without missing a show. Uh, that's tremendous. First time I would have seen you was in, I believe, was in Newburgh, was the one with Ric Flair yeah. and uh, yep. Jimmy Hart and the eight-man tag. I think it was with Reed Flair. Yeah, so that, that was probably 2009-ish. But, yeah, I started with, with Northeast in 2007. Wow. I think so. that was the first one I actually went to. So, yep. gosh. I've been going to these for 13 years now. That's amazing. Yeah, um, you know, it's funny. You know, we were talking before we before we started recording here. You know, you were asking me about the pictures on the wall behind me and stuff. And, you know, you just brought up the Reed Flair thing, Ric Flair. It's like to think that in 2009 I was working with Ric Flair and Reed. And I think I was, you know, one of Reed's last opponents, if not his last opponent. And, you know, I was saying to you about all these pictures, like, I've had this stuff and for the longest time, never did anything with it. And I finally came to terms with, what am I doing? I have all these great memories. So, you know, yeah. one of the pictures that's behind me is from that event with, with Rick. And, you know, I think back and I'm just like lucky to have gotten to do such cool things. You know, I'm, I think that night you're talking about, I teamed with Trevor Murdoch and we took on Reed and Jerry the King Lawler and, you know, Rick was at ringside. So, you know, you look back on these things and it's just amazing to me. Any what what were some of your other favorite moments that you got to uh, do in NEW? You have a ton, man. I seriously, my I, I couldn't pick one. I mean, I, if I had to pick one, obviously it was um, you know my first championship win there uh, when I beat Matt Taven and Waterbury in that cage match. Um, that really meant a lot to me. Still does mean a lot to me. Um, like I said, I always wanted to be in Northeast Wrestling, and then went from being told I wouldn't be used to being on every event for years, probably driving Michael crazy. So to finally get that opportunity to not only wrestle, you know, for the championship, uh, but to win it was, it was awesome. And, and the crowd was ready for it. And, you know, going into that match, they were loving me so much, but by the end of it, you know, they, they kind of did that, that 180 where they were cheering and they wanted to see it and they got it. And that was a pretty memorable, memorable moment. But, um, yeah, I've got a laundry list of, of things Northeast Wrestling has given me the opportunity to do. Um, obviously, working with Ric Flair was one of the greatest nights of my life. I mean, growing up a wrestling fan, loving Rick, how could you not, you know, cherish that moment? Um, gotten to work with Cody Rhodes, you know, grew up a big, big, big Hardy Boys fan. Um, got to work both Matt, work Jeff, you know, wrestled Matt in a ladder match, you know, really like it doesn't get any better than this stuff. And, you know, listen, I owe Northeast wrestling a huge debt of gratitude because they have given me opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Um, yeah, man, I could just, I could go on all day. I mean, I got to work with Roddy Piper. You know, I've wrestled Jerry Lawler so many times I've lost count. And, you know, I've had my favorite matches in my career in Northeast specifically, you know, with, with Matt Taven. Um, some of those were just fantastic wrestled Danny Math, Eddie Kingston. I mean, Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, just the list goes on and on and on. And I, and I could go on for hours about, you know, my favorite Northeast wrestling moments. That could be its own. Yeah, that podcast. could be its own show. That would be the yeah. next time you're on. You mentioned a little bit about how you broke in. Um, 
I know that you were trained. You said you were trained by first Jason Knight. I guess it was, and then Paul Roma. What, yeah. what was your beginning like, and and kind of what were your goals back then? Um, you know, I think everyone's goal when you break in wrestling is you want to be in the big time. So, you know, I got out of high school and I was going to college. I was working, and I remember telling my parents like, I really want to do this wrestling thing, and they said, Yeah, you know, fine, you know, whatever. And weren't really thrilled about it. But, you know, I looked around and found Jason's school in Waterbury. So I talked him into it and they said, all right, you can do it as long as you're still working, going to school, whatever. Fine. Well, the school thing didn't last too long. I hated it. So I started doing the wrestling. So I would go to school in the morning. I would work part time in the afternoon. And then I would drive up to Waterbury at like seven, eight o'clock at night to train at Jason's. Um, and if anybody knows jason's training style like let's just say it wasn't your typical wrestling school i mean i would go up there and i would just get beat up um i think i mentioned earlier that's where i met kurt um mercedes martinez used to come down a lot mm-hmm. ron zombie um luckily for those three and i probably have never thanked them enough uh they pretty much saved me from that place because that it was it was a rough time, man. Like I was going there. I wasn't learning a whole lot except how to get beat up. Um, my first event that I did was was under that uh, banner. Jason Knight ran a small uh, small company based out of Waterbury. We did a show. I ended up getting my jaw shattered. I was like 18 years old. Um, and yeah, just after that, I remember you know coming home. I'm 18 talk to my parents and let me do this wrestling thing and now my jaw's wired shut and they're like you're not doing this anymore you don't want to do this anymore you know they're basically trying to talk me out of it without telling me that i can't do it and so naturally that made me want to do it even more um went back still the same goals in mind you know you eventually want to be like in the big time wwe at the time you know ring of honor impact like those are my goals you know and as i've grown up you know obviously AEW came around wwe's gotten bigger so you know that's always always was the dream always was the goal um but you know what man being in northeast wrestling for as long as i've been and doing the things that you know we just talked about it's been a great run man yeah i was gonna say you know that was gonna be part of my next question was just how the goals for you have changed over time to me you're one of the most successful wrestlers around because you've gotten to wrestle i started making my own list even independently <laughs> of your list but you know i had eddie kingston on there i know you've worked with and against david arquette which not many people yeah. say that they've done uh you mentioned the hardys uh, darby allen uh, pretty much anybody yeah. who passes through the company you know, you're the guy they ultimately have any interaction with. So, uh, you know, it's to, to me is success is sort of uh, relative to uh, the individual and, and what you want to accomplish. Yeah, I mean, honestly, Phil, um, you know, there's still a part of me that deep down, like I would love it. You know, if WWE rang my phone tomorrow, I'd be picking up. I'd be, you know, doing whatever I can to get there. Same thing, AEW. Um, but like you said, I've managed to have this fulfilling wrestling life where I've gotten to do all these amazing things. And, you know, you brought up some people I left off that list, Arquette being one of them. I mean, what a guy he is. I mean, I had more fun working with and against David Arquette than arguably anybody that I've been in a ring with. And the guy's not even a wrestler. I mean, he would tell you himself, like, I don't know what I'm doing out there. You know, you guys <laughs> get me through this. But um, no, it's just, you know, I went from being full-fledged that this is going to be my life. I am getting signed. I'm going to make a living at this. You know, I had my whole life mapped out in my head, you know, like 
I was putting off buying a house, putting off getting married, putting off doing all these things until I got signed. And, you know, you reach a point where, okay, maybe it's not going to happen. Maybe it is, but I still have to move on. So some of those things that, you know, I wasn't as committed to, such as, you know, getting married, buying a house, getting, you know, a stable job. At some point, you have to do those things. And so as I've grown, you know, I have all those things now. I'm married. I have responsibilities. I have a great job. Um, it does make it difficult to put as much time and effort into trying to get signed now as, say, 10 years ago. But, you know, as an adult, I feel like I made decisions, whether it was getting a job that made it more difficult to wrestle or getting married, which makes it more difficult to leave all the time. You know, whatever it may be, I've had this amazing balance, specifically with Northeast Wrestling, which is why I'm so loyal to them, why I love working there, where I've been able to fulfill you know, what I need out of wrestling, like working with all these guys and, and doing these great things and having these awesome memories and and still have a great life. You know, I have a, a job that provides me uh, a great life. You know, I'm, I'm sorry to ruin the mystique and, you know, but it's 2022. I think most people know that if you're just doing local independence, you probably do have a job outside of wrestling. So sorry to ruin the magic, but uh, that's reality, you know, yeah. and and it's tough, you know, it's still it's still embedded in me that I would love to to make a living wrestling. But again, great job, you know, that requires me to be there a lot of hours, unfortunately. So it's not easy to just say, hey, I'm taking off on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday to go wrestle, um, especially because I work weekends. But it's also hard to explain when you come in banged up on Monday or you know, you're injured yeah. or you got stitches in your head and you're, you're, you know, working with the public. It's it's not easy to always explain that. So. Over the past year or two, I definitely have um, taken a step back. But a lot of that, too, is just due to getting older, being banged up. But, you know, it's still it's still, you know, the dream, so to speak, getting signed. But it is definitely harder at this point in my life to devote the the time to do it. That's just a fact. And I know when we had Eddie Kingston on, he specifically name dropped you as somebody that he uh, he enjoyed working with on his uh, on his uh, brief uh, sojourn into NEW. And I imagine he'll be back uh, eventually, too, because it seems like he, he had a great time there. He better be because he still hasn't pinned me. <laughs> he, but he's they, walking around saying he beat me. He pinned Vito. He didn't pin me. That's great. Um, you know, and another thing about your whole persona too, and a, a big part of what wrestlers do involve marketing and branding. And I, you know, when I think of neon green, I think of Brian Anthony. Uh, I believe you drive a neon green truck. You're pretty much surrounded by neon green all the time. And I did not expect that I'd be conducting this interview when I wrote this question out that you'd be sitting on a neon green couch in your basement. So yeah, man, you got to do it. You know, it's, 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 how did all that come about for you? Like where, where do you, where did neon green start? And you know, you have so many little things that you have available for fans at the shows too. So, you know, wh where does this part come into it for Brian Anthony? Yeah, honestly, man, it didn't start as like this idea that I'm just going to make everything in my life neon green. It just kind of slowly happened. Um, when I first started to develop my my first set of ring gear, my dog's joining us in the background here. But when Welcome I first back. started to, uh, it, you know, make my first set of ring gear, it was actually dark green and purple when I designed it. And I remember thinking to myself, like, ah, this is really, you know, it's like dark. It needs something to pop. So I changed the colors to, to neon green. And when it came, I just went a hundred percent full fledged in with it. So then everything became lime green because I started, you know, to wear the green and, 
know, then I would see people bring green signs, you know, things like that. I'm like, all right, this is kind of catching on. So then it was just, you know, full steam ahead. Everything was green. Like you said, I got the green truck, um, put my logo on the doors. You know, I want people to know, you know, when I, when they're at a show, oh, Brian's here, you know, hopefully they think that's cool. Um, when we did the stadium shows, I would drive the the truck down to the ring or, you know, in Danbury, one of my hometown events, you know, they had the roll up door, like drive the Jeep in. And then it was great because the kids would all associate the Jeep with me because of the color. You know, my shirts are all green. My headbands are green. Um, like you said, the merchandise I sell, I have, you know, lime green dog tags, lime green bracelets, lime green shirts, lime green hats. It's all about branding for me. I want people to recognize me with that color and specifically the vehicle because it became a marketing tool for me. So they'd see me drive it to the ring and then the kids would all want to take pictures of me in front of us. So, you know, that's a pretty great photo op when you're going to an independent wrestling show. Hey, my kid wants to get a picture with you. And I've got the green Jeep behind me with the logo and they're holding the belt on their shoulder. I mean, what's cooler than that? I just like I wanted to create something that would excite people, um, especially early on in my career. I really marketed myself and, you know, pushed myself towards kids because I remember being a kid bothering my mom to go to these WWE shows, whether it was a house show or whatever. And I was wanting to buy the merchandise. You know, I was yeah. telling you, you know, before we came on on the air here that, you know, my basement, you know, behind me is a small part of it. I'm a big time vintage wrestling collector. So my whole basement is is vintage wrestling stuff. And a lot of that is stuff that I bought as a kid at the events and what have you. So I always wanted to create something that, you know, kids going to go to the show and say, wow, I want that, you know, and I think I've done a good job of that. Yeah. And I always, I enjoyed during your run as King that you had an entire court of guys. <laughs> now wrestlers don't all get their gear from the same place. Right. So you've got all of these, you had uh, Anthony battle, you had the, uh, yeah. the Duke of danger, uh, Daniel Evans, you had Baron Von Vito, of course. Yeah, yeah. Am I missing anybody else that was in the court? David yeah, Arquette ended up in there eventually. Man. The amazing that, Graysons. Both Graysons. That's right, too. Yep. But they all needed to be neon, too. So like yeah. they, they had to they had to go along with the, with the Brian Anthony uh, brand. I'm, uh, it's actually funny you mentioned that because I'm a little nuts about things like that. Like I have always loved ever since I was a kid. If there's a group of wrestlers or a tag team, I've always wanted them to have, you know, matching gear. Like if guys don't match, it drives me nuts. So when we formed that group, I actually hand drew all the the gear for everybody for the graysons for me for dan for anthony and just placed one big order with with one person because i wanted all to make sure that the greens match the purples match all that stuff and i'm a little bit of a, a nut where i don't really throw things away I, I save a lot of things so somewhere in a bin um i have the original drawings of that i'll have to try and dig those out and send them to you maybe you can pop them up on the screen or something i know wow. you tech guys can do all fancy stuff but uh <laughs> yeah so i actually have like a lot of the drawings of all the like all my gear has been designed by me so i have somewhere a box of drawings that i've done i think i was telling you earlier i'm not the most tech savvy guy so they are literally drawn on like the back of paper bags and colored in with crayons because me trying to do it on photoshop would not be good that's great about the creative side of wrestling. And then on, on another, you know, topic with that too, tweaking your persona is a big part of wrestling. And you've had several changes from like the neon green heel guy, yeah. to the army of one, and then the King of Bethany. And now what you are now, what, what kind of process do you go through as you make those various changes to your character? 
You know, it's kind of, it's a fluid situation every time, like you were saying. I mean, if you think about it. So when I first came in, you know, I was kind of, you know, a heel, just trying to find myself. And then when I won the championship from Matt Taven, you know, I had a run of four or five years there. Um, probably four years where I was just the the white bread baby face, kissing babies, high-fiving people. You know what I mean? In, in DC, I believe some fans refer to it yeah, as. Yeah. And it got to the point where towards the end of that run, you know, the, the crowd would chant Indy Cena, Indy Cena. And I'm thinking to myself, this is great. What's a better compliment than that? Meanwhile, you know, they were slowly starting to do that 180 again where they were like, all right, we're kind of tired of this guy. So, you know, I lost the title to to Matt Taven and I said, all right, well, obviously this this baby face thing is not going to continue to evolve the way it was like they, they were pretty much done with me. Um, and I've just always, I've always believed that characters work. Um, you know, I'm not one of these guys that prides themselves on being able to do crazy flips and, and the stuff you see, you know, on TV now. So I've always tried to, to hide that, not hide it, but, you know, accentuate my positive, positive, right? Which is my character stuff. And, you know, I remember doing the army of one thing saying to Michael Lombardi, like, you know, I don't even know if I want to come back because I don't know what to do. And it was him that was like, just come to the show. I'm going to give you a microphone and just say why you're pissed off. Because I was pissed off. I remember being like angry, not at anyone, but literally just didn't understand why, you know, and it it sounds so silly, but I didn't understand why as hard as I was working, people were were starting to boo me and kind of get tired of me. And and so Michael gave me the opportunity. He's like, just go out and talk. And to say the like how you really feel, I think that resonates. So that whole run of just being angry really resonated because a lot of what I was saying was really how I felt. And then, you know, that ran its course and Ron Zombie beat me in the casket match. And then I, you know, disappeared for a little while. So when I came back, I was, you know, back to good guy, Brian. And I kind of felt that it wasn't going to last. And I was right because two or three shows into it, you know, they're excited at first, you're back. Yeah. And two or three shows in, I started to feel it weaning already. And I remember pitching the whole idea to Northeast Wrestling about this King thing. And they were not having it. Nope, we're not doing that. That's not you. And I think, to his credit, it was Matt Taven. I remember I was at the event and I was pitching the idea to Matt Taven. And he's like, this is great. He's like, Mm -hmm. why aren't we doing this? And he went. And was talking to Michael Lombardi about it. I was still talking to Michael about it. And finally, he just caved. And he's like, all right. (laughs) (laughs) And I think the first time I went out to the ring and I had the crown and and, and it was a work in progress. Like my wife actually was like still sewing me a cape and a green crown, but none of it was ready yet. So I just have like the generic red crown and I'm out there. And I started just talking with the accent. And I remember I came to the curtain and everyone was dying laughing because nobody knew I was going to do that. They just expect me to go out there and do my normal promo. So once I started doing it and the, the fans were reacting the way they were, I remember I was like, oh, this might be a hit. Yeah, it was really good. And for those of you who haven't seen it, check it out on High Spots because it's gold. <laughs> I always personally enjoyed the uh, how everybody was still doing all of that stuff at the table before the show. 
<laughs> like I, I'd walk past you. They'd maybe be, you know, the doors had just opened. There may be, be 25 <laughs> people had walked in the building because they're still all doing their own thing, getting in. And you'd be like, oh, here's Phil Strong, here's <laughs> fine scribe. And I'm like, what is he doing? <laughs> hey, man, honestly, I know it seemed crazy, but, you know, I remember even talking to Vito. I'm like, we can't just go out there and sell merchandise. I said, I didn't even care about the money of selling merchandise. I cared about the process of it. And I remember us having a conversation and to Vito's credit, he was the one that said to me, he's like, we need to be as annoying as humanly possible. He's like, we need to get our heat before the bell rings because, and to Vito's credit, again, he knew I'm not, I mean, especially at this point in my life, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point, but I've dealt with a million injuries. Um, and at that point, point two when I was doing that whole King gimmick was probably when I was at my worst because I was dealing with some serious neck issues. Mm. So Vito knew that my matches weren't always necessarily going to be, you know, five-star classics and probably the best on the show. And, and we also did a good job of hiding that too. If you look back, a lot of that King run um, was tag matches, yep. you know, eight man tags, six man tags, things like that. But, you know, the thought process was let's be as annoying as possible, but we were smart about it where, you know, I was selling, I don't know if you remember, but I had like thousands of lime green paper crowns made up. Yep. <laughs> and it was the greatest thing I ever did. It was probably the best selling piece of merchandise I've had in my entire career because A, the kids either loved them and wanted to have them because it was something they could wear or people were buying them and just like rip them up and throw them at Vito at ringside. It was the best <laughs> of both worlds because I'm like, to be honest, when, when people would start coming in, Vito would be on the megaphone harassing people and we would look for the kids to get them going. Because once you get one kid that, you know, is yelling at you and harassing you at ringside, all the other ones are going to join in. Yep. On the other side of that, the first kid that buys the crown, all the other kids want a crown now. So it was the, <laughs> it was the best of both worlds. They either hated us or loved us, you know, and I sold a ton of those things. So I'm sure somewhere out there, there's a bunch of kids with lime green crowns, uh, <laughs> Hanging up in the room somewhere. I love it. I, I just it's just one of my favorite parts of your whole persona is just Yeah, and we we made a point to detail. Too. Yeah, we made a point too. Like I, I don't know if you recall, but even at the merchandise, we didn't just like do it in the lobby. We would actually have we would wait till people were inside and we would have people carry the table out to make a big presentation out of it. And Vito would you know get on the megaphone and be, oh, you know, King Brian is now opening the royal marketplace. It would make this whole <laughs> presentation out of the autograph signing and so the guys would be carrying the table Vito's introducing me naturally people are walking in like what is this guy who is this jerk you know what I mean if they didn't know me they were just immediately like this guy's a jerk and then you know we'd have the lime green tablecloth on there I mean it was just a spectacle all the guys would be in their gear too you know yep. it's just we just tried to make a spectacle out of it and that way when we did finally hit the ring man they wanted to kill us already before the bell rang Absolutely fantastic. So we're going to move to on to something we call the three count now. It's going to be three quick questions and your answers. Uh, so the first one, uh, you've wrestled a ton of big stars in your career. Who didn't you wrestle who you would have liked to have shared the ring with? Oh, man. Uh, two guys right off the top of my head. Uh, Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning, as a kid, was one of my favorites. Uh, man, I would have loved, 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 loved to have done anything with Kurt. Never got the chance. Um the other one, Macho Man, Randy Savage. Uh, growing up as a kid, loved Macho Man. Uh, as a wrestling, vintage wrestling collector, I've 
got probably a hundred different Macho Man items down here. Um, I never got to wrestle Hulk Hogan, but got to share a locker room with him. It was on that stadium show where yep. uh, him and Roddy Piper had their last ever encounter. That was a dream, just being able to chat with Hulk. I mean, actually, one of these pictures behind me here is it's me and Hulk, you know, posing. And, you know, what's better than that as a kid growing up as a Hulkamaniac? Um, but, yeah, Kern Hanning um, and Macho Man are the two that that come to my mind right away. Um, I grew up, you know, like I said, Hulkamaniac, Randy Savage fan. As I got a little older, you know, the Attitude Era, love Stone Cold Steve Austin. You know, he's one guy I've never gotten to do anything with, but. Uh, you know, he doesn't do much of anything, nor does he have to. So that's yeah. probably off the table. Um, the world of Northeast wrestling has very few limits. <laughs> I've learned over not, the last 15 years. You are not wrong there. Um, yeah. But yeah, those two guys are the first two that come to mind. Um, you know, going through my fandom, you know, I said like Hogan, Macho Man. Then as the, the, the new generation came along, I was huge into Bret Hart. But I've gotten to work with Bret uh, yep. numerous times at Northeast events. Um, I went out and did Starcast a couple times, worked with Brett both times out there. He was as cool as could be. Um, so I've got to work with him in some capacity, which was, was cool. I always loved in the, in the new generation era. I was always a Tatanka guy. I love Tatanka, but never got to work with him. So that'd be cool. He's, yeah, he's, still, still, he's, he's still floating around. Yeah. He's still out there. I'd love to do that, man. I always thought, I remember pitching it actually a, a few times when I was doing the, the King deal. Like I thought that would have been great to, to wrestle Tatanka as the King. <laughs> so uh, second question, aside from Brian Anthony, who are your three favorite wrestling Kings? Oh, Jerry Lawler, number one, uh, as, as many times as, as we've wrestled and as many times as he's beat me, he, he's still my favorite. He's number one. Uh, number two, got to go with the King of Hearts, baby Owen Hart. Yeah. You know, he's another guy that would be on my list of guys I wish I could have worked with, but but yeah, no, I loved, loved, loved Owen as King. I think he did the best job ever with winning that tournament. I mean, nobody can can ever, you know, duplicate what he did. It was unbelievable. I mean, just everything about it, the, you know, the crown he had, the robe, and just when he had it on his gear, I mean, he really took it and went the, the whole mile with it. And then I think the third one, just because I stole so much of, you know, not stole, but based so much of what I did as, as Wrestling King off of him was King Booker. Yeah, I loved King Booker. I think that was I'm, I'm probably in the minority, but I think that was the most entertaining run of his whole career. I loved it. Loved it. I'm trying to think. I don't think he was he around at all during your King run in Northeast. He was. He was. And actually, at one of the I think at one point at one of the Six Flags shows, there was talk of him doing something where he was going to interrupt me and he was going to bring back the King Booker thing. I don't remember why it didn't work out. I think I wound up with Boogeyman and uh, he might have wormed Vito or something. I, I can't remember, but we did talk about it and it did almost happen, but for some reason it didn't. And then the last question, finally, if you were setting up a Brian Anthony uh, DVD, what would what would be the main two or three matches on there for you? Um, You know, we talked about it briefly earlier. Some of my favorite matches ever were, were with Matt Taven. Um, I think every one of my matches with him would probably be on there. You know, uh, the cage match specifically. Um, we had a ladder match, which was probably, you know, the best match I, I had ever in Northeast, in my opinion. That would definitely be on there. And then just, you know, some of the guys, that, you know, me and Jeff, me and Matt, um, me and Darby had some real good ones. Um, you got to put Hacksaw on there. Just do the Hacksaw. He's got to go on there. And then some of my later stuff, 
definitely, you know, some of the stuff with Kingston um, and Danny Math and, and probably the Arquette stuff, just because I was so proud that it was, it was so passable. <laughs> I think it was actually better than passable. I think it was, I think it was arguably good. I, I enjoyed the heck out of it, and I enjoyed getting to talk to you and him and Lawler around that time too. It was just it was fun to be a part of that, and it was just, yeah. I mean, it, he was all in on yeah. that on that story. And you know, was, I'll be honest, that was probably that stretch working with him. You know, I was doing the king the king deal at the time, and just working with him was probably the most fun I ever had in my career. I remember just working with Jerry and working with our cat. You know simultaneously throughout most of that run. There was a good year where I worked primarily with those guys. It was so non-stressful. It was great. And like the first time I worked with our cat, he teamed with Hurricane Helms, who I also love. Me and Hurricane have worked, you know, half a dozen times. We go way back. He's fantastic. Um, just love Shane so much. And just working with him is always so easy and just so non-stressful. And like that whole run of working with those guys was was definitely the most fun I ever had in my career. Yeah, that was right here in Poughkeepsie, New York. I think it was yeah. you and uh, Anthony Battle against yeah. Hurricane and Arquette at the community center over here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, very good. Well, Brian, thank you so much for uh, joining me today on Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. I'm really, really glad we got to do this. And yeah. uh, w- let's do it again sometime in the future. I think we, yeah, so I'm there's more you. ground we could cover. Oh yeah, we got enough stuff to do ten podcasts. Don't worry about it. This was a pleasure, man. Thank you again. I, you know, I, I don't do a lot of these things. So this was really fun, and uh, you know, if the people are into it, we'll do it again, man. Thanks again, everyone, for joining me this week on Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. I'd like to thank Mister Northeast Wrestling, Brian Anthony, for joining me this week. Had a lot of fun with this episode. Join us next week where our guest is from New Japan Pro Wrestling. You might have known him as Darren Young when he wrestled for WWE, but it's Fred Rosser. At the time I'm recording this, Fred is the New Japan Strong Openweight Champion and is one of the top wrestlers in New Japan's expansion to the U.S. They have a couple of upcoming shows in New York City. He's accomplished a lot in his career, so I'm really looking forward to talking to him. Have a great week, everyone. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.